Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Topical Reflections on Music. Today uh, we have a very special guest uh, with us from Switzerland, Swiss composer and marketing specialist, Anisha Kohler. Hello and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much for, for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I have a very diverse questions in order to cover all of uh, uh, Anisha Kohler's expertise. So we are going to start with uh, the fact that you are an editor for the Swiss Music Review, mm -hmm. uh, where you are responsible for disseminating information on a national level on behalf of the Swiss Association of Music Schools. Mm -hmm. The name of this association evokes curiosity. Uh, what does the association ensure? What aspects of education does it cover? What is it responsible for? Please, uh, when you answer, you should know that our listeners come from different countries. Mm -hmm. And the notion of what constitutes a music school is also very different from one country to another. Mm -hmm. So I yes. ask you to please address this aspect as well. That, that's true, yes, that's pretty diverse. Well, the Association of uh, Swiss Music Schools is um, Basically, um, it's it's a uh, political. Um, now during the pandemic, um, the reason why there needs to be an association like that was made very clear, because um, the president and her committee were able to to go directly to the um, to the polit politicians and to say, um, for example. Uh, music schools are education. It's not just entertainment for the kids. So music schools should stay open. Things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just to, to make sure on a national level that the interests of the music schools that are mostly not the private music schools, but the um, um, community funded uh, music schools are, um, their needs and their interests are met. Now, I, I come from Bulgaria, we have a music school system there, and it's a school uh, with focus on music, uh, but uh, students can study there from year one until year 12, and they get also a, a regular music diploma. Is this also, uh, sorry, a regular um, school diploma, mm -hmm. uh, in addition to the music diploma? I wonder, is this the situation in Switzerland as well, or are music schools uh, a separate institution that does not give uh, high school diplomas. Yes, yes, they are very much separate. Okay. Um, which which is a pity actually, because the situation in Bulgaria it sounds it sounds great. Um, a music school in Switzerland, a funded or partially funded music school in Switzerland means uh, kids um, starting from age about five. And up to adults can go take uh, can go to learn an instrument. Mm -hmm. It's a lesson a week, and it's not at the official um, public school. It's um it's an it's another building. Most often, it's another building. It's somewhere else. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I I started in pre grade. I went until grade twelve, and uh, there were all the usual, you know, math, uh, Bulgarian literature, language, history. Mm -hmm. and the music classes harmony counterpoint etc starting in eighth grade everything except history and uh, mm -hmm. and bulgarian literature uh, stopped and we really only did the music subjects until 12th mm -hmm. grade so it's, wow. a, it's a different system i did realize when i immigrated that uh, when a north american says a music school it it certainly totally doesn't mean the same thing across the country so 
when I have the chance to ask someone involved in education like you, I, I make a point of, uh, mm -hmm. of, of uh, asking for clarifications. Now, as I told you, our listeners come from across the world and uh, would be very interested in learning how the music publishing business operates in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. I understand you're not a specialist, uh, but uh, you, are sh you surely know that um, in North America, commercial publications depend heavily on ads and sponsorships to survive. This also greatly influences the content that goes into print. Uh, for example, even in Canada, where there is, there is still a lot of uh, public funding, uh, you would be surprised how many, uh, how many um, publications mention concerts sponsored by particular companies mm -hmm. or institutions. So. Uh, uh, how how does it work in Switzerland? Are you obliged to cover certain topics? Uh, to what mm -hmm. extent are sponsorship involved? What's the coverage uh, for a sponsor? Yes, yes. Um, the uh, the publication I write for um, is called the uh, Swiss um, Swiss Music Review. Mm -hmm. It's um, there's there are nine editions per year. And um, there's a few others. Um, um, there's a jazz magazine in Switzerland, and for both, it's the same. Of course, there are a lot of um, there are a lot of ads, mm -hmm. but the um, the sponsors do not um, do not get involved in the content. All right. Yeah. So it's um, as far as I know, it's very it's kept very separate. Mm. Good. Now, um, do you? Uh... Are you paid uh, by the word per article or do you have uh, guaranteed hours per week? Now in many European countries, as you know, we are paid by word. Mm -hmm. uh, but here, my experience in Canada, whenever I was paid, it was by article. So how does it work in Um Yes, that's actually not my field of expertise because um, I'm actually, I, um, it's, it's a part-time part job that I have for the Association of Swiss Music Schools. Mm -hmm. So I have a monthly, um, I'm on a monthly retainer, mm -hmm. basically. So I'm not paid by the word, I just have to get the uh, editions out or the pages out, yeah. But I know that for a music journalist in Switzerland, the situation is um, pretty harsh as well because um, uh, the fees are not high. Uh, as far as I know, the fees are per article, but they're not high. Oh, yeah. So like everywhere in the world today, sadly. Mm -hmm. Now, as a composer, you're extremely diverse. You have participated in a number of residences. I noted here Europe, Japan, Singapore, United States. Uh, this is all across the world, really. And this provides you with a unique perspective to offer comparisons and insights on the residency structure and use. Mm -hmm. How do these programs resemble one another? How do they differ? Uh, now, for my personal observation, many residences have devolved into pay to rent a hut with us and do some networking. Has this been your experience? Does this differ from when you were a student and now that you're a professional? Is there a standard you have observed? And uh, most importantly, the great cultural differences between the communities. You, you will be in a perfect position to talk to us about it. Mm -hmm. um, first, what you need to know is um, I, I did one residency in Singapore without kids, but that was the only one. And even then I went with, with my husband. So I always come with a package 
and it's a pretty heavy package for for a residency to to take on so um i always there's a lot of work involved in finding the right place because um, I can count how many times people have told me, oh, no kids, oh, no, 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 no. That's not possible. You can, you can come with kids. It's meant to be silent. It's meant to be a retreat. It's just, yeah, it's just very heavy. So um, the, first, the first thing is uh, music residencies. Um, as what, what I've, I've made the experience that they're very rare. No one wants to take on musicians because they're loud. Mostly they want to take artists. And if I say I'm a composer, um, which is uh, pretty silent, it's okay. So I've mostly, um, I, I was mostly lucky um, finding places that were, that were catering to artists mm -hmm. uh, and not to, not to musicians per se. All right. And, um, the second thing is because I'm a family, I, I don't want to go three months. I don't want to go away for such a long time. I can't because the kids go to school, right? And so I always found these little, very small places. Um, often they were artist-run places, and I've always had the best, the best time, really. Um, I mean, it's in, in Japan. I was in a village that was basically deserted by the young generation. Mm -hmm. um, two thirds of all houses were, were empty. Wow. So it was, a, it was a way of living in Japan, very rural, that you just don't get to see at all. And we, we've spent a few days, a few days there um, in a small community of artists and we played at a festival in the forest. It was just awesome, really life-changing always i mean it was small residencies it wouldn't it was not <coughs> i'm so sorry <coughs> not competitive uh residencies um with a hundred people applying it was it was very small affairs but still always life-changing i always wrote a lot of music afterwards and very um awesome experiences as a family yeah it is a bit sad to hear that uh, they are not family friendly, because after all, we depend on the young generation to continue our art. And if uh, if there if there is hostility, well, maybe not hostility, but uh, impatience or intolerance, this actually sounds very sad. Who will take over? I know, I know, doesn't it? And it's just it's just a systemic thing. Um, mm -hmm. I think because, I mean, I don't want to get too political with this but i think mostly it's just um yeah the system is made for um it it's used to men doing this that yeah. could be away from the kids it's not it's not it's not made for a family and uh, things are changing the society is changing so these things need to change as well Agreed. And I just thought instead of instead of becoming pessimistic and not doing anything at all, I thought I, I, I would become active and actively look for places that would take me and my and my family and my special situation. And I, it was always Lead such the a way, situation. basically. Mm -hmm. Lead the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, uh, affordable child care for for working parents and artists is uh, is really problematic. Oh yes, it I, is. I have heard of festivals uh, not offering childcare to participants, and I mean all the concerts are at night. You know, uh, there are kids I that know. need to. Yeah, so I mean, where, where is the logic in that? I, I know, I know, there isn't. 
Yeah, there, there isn't. I, people like you with children, uh, uh, work, working mothers uh, change the world and you have all my admiration for what you do. Oh, thank you. Uh, so basically a cultural similarity across the globe that you have found is that kids are very rarely welcome. So I get <laughs> Yes, but when they are, they are, they are welcomed with such open arms. I mean, the places I went to, it was just, it was just great. Tell us which ones they are. Let's let's do some positive advertisement. Oh yes, um, uh, I was at a place uh, called uh, in in Hudson, upstate New York, uh, Drop Forge and Tool, and okay. they are just they are just awesome. It was in a very very big house um, with a lot of room for for the kids and a big space to work. And I was and the, the place I mentioned in Japan. I don't know if they do it anymore. Um, it's near uh, Nagano. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, very basic, very rural. And in Singapore, it was an artist gallery where you got to live inside the, the gallery with a pool outside. It was yeah. so awesome. A, a building with a view of uh, Singapore's financial district. Can you imagine living there for a month? Oh, awesome. this, wow. Yeah. And in France, oh, France, in, in France, that was the, that was so lovely there in the south of France, in a big house as well. Um, a place called Ceci n'est pas un hotel. Okay. <laughs> yeah. With, a, with the opportunity to do a small concert there. Yeah. Just, just lovely. Thank you. Well, uh, now that we have addressed already one uh, social topic, we will stay on topic. <laughs> Uh, in 2020, you partook in the Yale School of Music online seminar on music and social action. I have myself completed an online certificate, the 2014 Theology Certificate from Princeton Seminary. So I'm acutely aware of how an international body of participants in online classes allows for multiple viewpoints to be presented and for unexpected exchanges to occur. I need to note that 2014, I, I did it before the pandemic reality. <laughs> As your composer, performer, writer, and marketing specialist, I wish to ask you uh, your opinions on the four questions that uh, this class did address. So to start with the first one, how can classical music affect social change? Oh, it, it absolutely can. I mean, there are so, so many examples. Um, the, the one, the very basic one is, um, you can always do something as a private person. Mm -hmm. Just, 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 um, you can, uh, uh, you can donate money and you, you can do something you can in your small community. And then if you're famous and if you have a platform, which I don't, <laughs> um, you can do things like, uh, Daniel Barnboim does, mm -hmm. uh, or Yo-Yo Ma with these orchestras bringing people together. Um, or you can use, you can even use your platform to influence politicians. There's there's so much you can do. And actually, I don't know if it's a question that you'll ask me later, but um, I think it's often a misunderstanding. Music, it's just music, it's just, just sounds and sounds beautiful and these instruments. And I think that's, that's not it. Music can be very political, um, doesn't need to be overtly political in an obvious way. way. It can, I mean, it can, but um, it doesn't have to be. There's so many ways that music can contribute to subjects. 
how uh, how has music made the positive change in communities around the globe? Of course, we all know of what El Sistema is, but mm -hmm. uh, maybe you can uh, you can help us with some more uh, examples. Um, yes, actually, um, El Sistema is a very very good example, of course, and the um, the teacher. Uh, I I have a blackout right now. The um, um, the, the professor who taught the course, he has something very similar. Um, it's a program in a not very privileged community where they uh, rent instruments for free to kids of all ages and teach mm -hmm. them teach them instruments. Yeah, there's it's it's often it's um it's uh, projects that go with uh with education, but it's not the only thing. Um, there's more and more projects coming up with um senior citizens, for example. Um, there's there's lots of things and um, what doesn't uh, what we need not to forget is the um, uh, the ethnological aspect the anthropological aspect mm -hmm. I mean to to keep um, often stories are told uh, from one person to another and often there's music with it and if you if you conserve if you, if you preserve the music if you save it if you record it um, there's that's also something very important that you can do for a community. Well, and uh, what what can we as musicians uh, learn from other movements for social change? Um, I think, um, as I, as I said before, there's there's so so much that you can do. Um, and there's always, um, it doesn't depend what field you're specializing in. Um, there's always so much you can do. For example, um, in the jazz community, um, there's not a lot of women. I mean, the women are coming up. It's, it's, it's growing. In the classical scene, I know that um, it's, it's much better on the musician level, not on a conduct, conductor level. <laughs> I know that, but um, yeah, in, the, in jazz, it's even more. Um, there are so there are not a few uh, female side women, for example. And uh, what I can do is when I record a group, I can always try to find women that record with me. That's something small that I can do, that I've started to do. Yeah, one step at a time. Mm -hmm. There was a women's orchestra in in the states when women couldn't get uh, mm -hmm. uh, education in music. Mm -hmm. So uh, you start small, then mm -hmm. we gradually integrate. Yes. Now exactly. to, to finish with the Yale Music and Social Action Seminar, uh, I wish to rephrase the last question. Now, in our pre-interview exchanges, you mentioned that currently on a practical level in the Swiss music and art scene, COVID seems to have changed perceptions and that everything feels to be transforming for the better. Now, this is something positive that we all need in our lives right now. So can you please elaborate on that? How mm -hmm. is things changing for the better? I think, I mean, what, what you need to know is that I'm basically, I'm, I'm trying to be an optimistic person. If, mm -hmm. if, um, if you were talking to someone else, he or she might say um, things are not looking so good. But anyway, um, what, what I'm seeing is, um, people are start, starting to understand more what it is that musicians do or what artists do basically. And I think um, the focus is um, going away from the, uh, the, the product in the end, the album or the concert in the end um, to, um, it's be uh, people are becoming aware that a lot of work goes into it mm -hmm. until 
album is finished. And what can we, we are trying to, to uh, make this process more visible. And I think what is starting to happen is that people see that it's actually hard work and it's a special way of working. It's a special way of researching topics. And I think <coughs> this could be very interesting um, to find out how musicians could maybe um, earn money with making this process more visible be because people want to want to know more um that that is something that i see and another another thing is um people are starting to realize uh what they miss when culture is forbidden yes yeah now well, they, on the on the topic of funding uh your um upcoming uh book and album that would emerge from your current project vignette on stage uh, have already secured support of Gemeinde uh, Königs, Kulturförderung des Kantons Bern, as well as the Burger Gemeinde Bern. <coughs> Can you please tell us more about your project? Uh, it does provide a lot of uh, visibility for participating artists. Also, when can we read and listen to the final product? And uh, specifically, our Canadian listeners would be interested in the fact that you have secured public funding for this. What processes are in place in your canton to make this possible? Mm -hmm. um, I know I'm extremely, I'm extremely privileged. And I, I know this and I really do feel privileged. Um, there's, I'm so sorry, <coughs> I'm coughing like a, a sick person. <coughs> It's I got okay. tested today. It's not COVID. <laughs> it's just a cold, just a regular cold. No, um, we have a pretty good system in place. Um, if you get funding from your community, the canton, I mean, the, um, what do you call that? Yeah, it's the, the municipality will most often give money to. <laughs> and there's a lot of foundations. There's a, there's a foundation. <coughs> in a in a neighboring city um, that is also very generous, especially in um, in COVID times. So, I've done a lot of uh, I've done a few albums, and I've always gotten um, grants and money for them to do from, this. From what I understand, uh, listening to you, uh, it seems that it's a very bottom up approach in Switzerland. You start with your local community first. Mm -hmm. for all those activities funding music schools am i correct um yes basically i mean it's just that it's um it's it's multi-layered you can go on a national uh, national level if you want but you always you always have to ask the community too the commu mm -hmm. community you live in yes and the canton and the 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 nation uh, now uh, to, uh, to remain with the vignettes on stage, you refer to the Pareto principle. Now for those uh, of our listeners who don't know what this is, the Pareto principle is an aphorism which asserts that 80% of outcomes or outputs result from 20% of all causes or inputs for any given event. In more practical terms, one can do 80% of the work in 20% of the time and the other 80% of the time invested goes into perfecting the work. In a business, a goal of the 80-20 rule is to identify inputs 
that are potentially the most productive and make them the priority. For instance, once managers identify factors that are critical to their company's success, they should give those factors the most focus. Now, in your context, how does the Pareto principle pertain to the vignettes on stage? <clears throat> so basically, when um, uh, vignettes on stage is uh, my original project, but when COVID came around the corner, I couldn't do it anymore. So I had to cancel all the concerts. And then I decided to do, um, to restructure it and to make, um, to restructure it into a, a weekly or, uh, yes, a, a weekly project where I would put out something every week. And obviously, if you do that, uh, perfection cannot be a goal because mm -hmm. then you go crazy because there's other things going on in life. Yeah. yeah. So I thought if I can, if I can try to put out something that is not perfect, but still it's something and it's done and it's finished and it's, it gives me a little bit of happiness. And at the end of the year, I'll have um, 30, 40 of these things to look at. Um, yeah, so it's it's basically that for me. I I'm um, this year I haven't been chasing uh, perfection, but just um, the thing. I'm regretting to say that, but it's just a phrase that is so awesome. It comes from Facebook. I'm I'm not I'm not a big fan, but um yeah, Mark Zuckerberg said, "Better done than perfect." So yes, that's, that's basically true. yeah, basically that's that's it. This is what uh, every <laughs> PhD student uh, hears all the time. The best mm. dissertation is a finished dissertation. Mm. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, uh, you are the band leader of uh, the contemporary jazz sextet uh, AKO. <coughs> this is a very productive ensemble with a vast performance history and three released albums. Mm -hmm. You are the first jazz player and jazz composer to talk on this podcast. So uh, can you tell us, is there a thriving jazz community in Bern? Uh, what inspired you initially to orient yourself towards jazz? As you did mention earlier, there are very few female role models. Uh, would be interesting to, uh, for you to develop a bit on this. Yes, actually, I didn't have any, any female role models <laughs> when, I, when I came in, into jazz. I mean, there's, there's one very famous <clears throat> female pianist who is awesome, that I got to know later. Yeah. Why, why did I turn to jazz? Um, I was always, I was always a musical kid. I was interested in opera as a 10 year old, which was weird. <laughs> um, and then, and I, uh, I thought about studying the piano, the classical piano. And then I decided um, that it would be better to study education first, mm -hmm. to have something. And then when I when I did that, I started taking jazz piano lessons, and it just it just drew me in. It was just um, that the freedom that it gave me, the the colors of the chords, because I have synesthesia. And oh, me too. You do. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh, oh, that's a discussion for another oh, time. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. But is is your synesthesia color and uh, mu yes. music and color okay? Yes, music and color and numbers and words. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, so the jazz chords basically they were so extremely colorful, and I I fell in love with them. Yeah. Oh, and I I understand so much better <clears throat> now. <laughs> yeah, mine, mine is uh, mine is color uh, uh, music uh, with color and uh, music with uh, taste. 
Oh, really? But, but music with color is much stronger, you know, music with taste. It's really more timbre with taste. Uh, like, and I, I wasn't sure until I heard uh, until I heard an oboe solo, and then I was sure. But oh, yeah. okay, oh, oh, yeah. that's so awesome! I'll need to talk to you about that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we'll have we'll have a we'll have a separate discussion. Yes, we will. We will. Maybe even a, a, another podcast ap- episode with other synesthetes. Oh, that would be that would be awesome. Uh, yeah, much more common than you think. I know among I know. musicians. Yes, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So individual too. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is absolutely, and you can you can start fighting over colors. That's what happens to me a lot. Um, there are pieces by uh, Mozart that are just bright red to me, and I just I just don't get it. If anyone says no, it's green, and no, it's not green, it's red. Can can yeah, you say totally. that? <laughs> Everyone thought certain pieces were red, uh, and it was only when I became a teenager when uh, when I realized for some people. Musical pieces is just sounds, mm-hmm. which is a pity, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't. Yeah, no, I know. I cannot even imagine. I'm pretty sure that my um, my perfect pitch is because I'm synesthetic. I mean, if something mm-hmm. is red, I know it's an F. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's an F. Okay, no, that's wrong. That's not true. Oh, yeah. It's not. <laughs> ah, okay, well, you see, well, uh, I don't red? know. I, I have an open spirit. What's red for you? <laughs> No, no, no. Me too. Me too. Um, A is red. A is red. Ah, okay. And F is like a, a pretty washed out color. It's more purplish. Okay. For okay. me, A is blue. But then it okay. depends, you know, G sharp and A flat, they're different colors and all that. I know. I they're know. not the same. They're not the same. <laughs> it's true. Now, jazz, um, contemporary jazz does not seem to carry the same connotations in Switzerland and in Canada. Mm. So you you clearly state on your website that the style of the AKO sextet is situated between jazz uh, and neoclassical. So I I feel compelled to ask you how do you define contemporary jazz, especially with regards to the AKO sextet. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's such a difficult question because. Oh, thank you, thank <laughs> you. Okay, good. <laughs> no, it's just. Um, I mean, <clears throat> to me, it's mostly it's um it's a way of trying to find a drawer to put the music in. I, I it it doesn't really matter to me. And if I say contemporary jazz, it's just uh, it it doesn't mean anything to okay. me. Honestly, it, no. Just means it's, it's, it's done now. It just means excuse- that you are doing it now. Yeah, I, I know. Yes, yes, it does. But actually, to the booking agents and to people, if you say contemporary jazz they know it's not it's not it's not free jazz it's not new orleans jazz it's not all time jazz it's uh, yeah but it, yeah. Uh, in my opinion it doesn't say anything yeah now i'm a, i'm an improviser myself in a different context i play the organ uh, so of course i cannot help but wonder how does your identity as performer influence your identity as composer especially in the context of collaborative endeavors, such as a jazz mm-hmm. ensemble. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty, <clears throat> as you said before, the, my, my interests are pretty diverse. Um, I love to compose pieces that are written from, from the beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, ausnotiert, you call that in German, uh, when, where everything's written. 
But I also love the uh, collaborative aspect. It's just a very different way of composing. Um, then I leave um, some space out where I know um, the musicians <clears throat> will bring in their technique, their, their craft, and we'll build something with that part of the music uh, in the moment. And um, there's, uh, there's a different, um, you can say I'll leave them very free or leave us very free or I'll tell them these chords must be played or these scales. It's very, it's very interesting to have that. And it's also interesting to write a piece from beginning to end. So it's both, I love both. Now, uh, I address the issue of professional ethics with each guest of my podcast. What would you consider a no, non-negotiable red line of professional ethics? And uh, have you experienced a conflict between uh, your morals and your ethics? Um, what, what would be a, 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 a red line? That could, mm. uh, <clears throat> um, you, have, you have sent me the question before and I've been thinking about that. And I've, came up with, um, I've come up with two kind of answers. I mean, the first one is um, the fact that there's not enough uh, diversity in the jazz community yet, but it's really, it's really changing for the better. I can see it happening. So uh, that's something, I mean, um, it's, it's questions like, <clears throat> am I asked to do this because I'm a woman? Mm -hmm. Or am I not asked to do this because I'm a woman? It's, yeah, um, yeah it can be can be pretty foggy sometimes and scary also. And I, I often, I just have to let it go. I just try to elevate other women and yeah, that's that's the thing I can do. And the other thing is the climate change. That really worries me. And when you tell me uh, what's a red line, I would not fly for one single concert anymore. I, mm -hmm. I, I would just, yeah, there's, I, I don't know how, I don't have the answers yet, but I know that or I think, I mean, it could be different in uh, Europe where everything's so close, you can take the train everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's not the same for you when, when you're in Canada and you want to come to Europe. I get that. It's different. But in Europe, you can just take a train. Mm -hmm. yeah, so that is, yeah, that is something. I think climate change, um, I, I mean, a lot of musicians are left-leaning um, politics-wise. And I think um, when, if that is the case, and we're all talking about climate change, then we need to change our practice as well. But I, I don't know. I completely agree. I you completely do. agree. I don't, I don't think um, many times you do not need to have someone fly in from somewhere mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. Many times you have a local person perfectly mm -hmm. capable of mm -hmm. doing the job. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I mean, especially with organists, I see fewer and fewer organists traveling because mm -hmm. uh, partially because that you can you can get someone closer and mm -hmm. also the online events have brought us closer together i yes. could play a concert right here and now and someone on the other side of the world can attend and i mm -hmm. think this gives us a, a newfound liberty it, it does mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank you so much for agreeing to participate and uh, you. to talk about your experiences, uh, Dianisha, it has been a great pleasure. And uh, for those of our listeners uh, who wish to check out her work, there will be a link in the description of the episode. And uh, thank you very much. Have a lovely day. Thank you so much. <laughs>